so they can read the full document for yourself. And it's quite interesting, of course. And remember, it's for, pub, for, for the public. They're very legalistic. They always show you so much of it, but not all of the stuff. You have to understand, you, you have to read many, many books and go into the big foundations that really are one big club, and they have been all through and before the Cold War, working together, funding black ops, etc., because the foundations are, in fact, the arms and specialized branches of a pre-democratic elite system. And I'll be back with more about this to tie up some more ends after this break. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Uh, Yesterday I was talking about Charles Galton Darwin and how he, amongst many of his peer group that were mainly his relatives, because they're all interbred, really, and they come from the old aristocracy, he was talking about the necessity to bring down the populations drastically, and he offered some solutions to it. And there was also a short-term solution, and that was, and it actually has been used, and we're coming to the end of it, and that was to basically encourage mainly the women to forgo having children and seek out jobs and money and having material goods instead. But, you see, that was the short-term plan, because he, amongst other eugenicists, truly believed uh, that uh, the general population, the commoners, make up the base race. They're the junk genes. That's why they call it junk genes. It's their little joke. You don't have any specialized genes in you. And I've already mentioned that Charles Galton Darwin also advocated the creation of special creeds amongst the, the, the types of humans to serve the elite, right along the same direction of Plato, because Plato had the guardian class. Then he had all the, the, the strata of helpers the specialist that would help the guardian class. And he saw himself, in fact, as a specially bred, and he was a specially bred scientist. That might seem far-fetched to some people, but listen to the last few talks I've given on the subject, I'll go into their histories. And if you listen to the words carefully that I read the other night, you'll see that he talked about the masters, he meant the guardian class, would have to retain their ability to be wild, because wild animals, as he calls people, wild animals, survive by having all of their abilities for self-preservation intact. And they could not basically specialize in any one area. Therefore, he advocated breeding special sections and mainly the sciences that would help the guardian class. But for the rest of them below, he foresaw the time they wouldn't need all of the laboring classes And his main problem was that, according to the Darwinian theory, that if those people came through into another era, all the the junk gene type people would come through, uh, they would literally overtake and outbreed the guardian class. The two could not survive together, and that's the key to it. The two, and, and eugenics, and the belief of eugenics, the two cannot survive side by side. 
It's been a war, you see, along, and people have no idea it's been going on. I have talked about the Cold Spring Harbor project that was set up by the foundations in the 1800s to do with eugenics and tracing family lineages to see who should live and die. And they were collecting all the data by creating the censorship bureau. That's why the censorship bureaus were set up in the United States and the Western world. It was set up by the eugenic society on behalf of the controlling elite. And they were keeping records and have kept records of all the offspring and marriages and deaths and births and so on. IQ levels of every family in those countries that have the census bureaus working. That was their purpose. Then you tie that in with the fact that now we know for 30 odd years or more, all governments have been taking DNA samples and storing blood samples from everyone who had blood tests for anything at all. We tie that in with the fact, again, that every country has been shown that they now have a national criminal DNA database, one that they built in Montreal, Canada, cost millions of dollars, and they said to us, it's for the occasional hardened criminal only. Meanwhile, they showed you inside of it, and there's all these robotic arms lifting about 100 test tubes at a time, layer after layer of them. This is for the population. It could probably do the U.S. as well. But we're lied to because you can't tell the truth to the children in any time because they might get upset. You'd have what they call flash mobs, no doubt, and then they'd have to drop their neutron bombs on you. That's what they said in the Department of Defense's own guesstimation for the next 25 years, flash mobs and the necessity of using neutron bombs on them. Now, these guys are deadly serious. The, the world they have projected is coming around because they've made it so. They've made it so. This whole farce with the bank failures is nothing but a farce because the whole thing is a Ponzi scheme you start with, and everyone knows it in the banking system. All the politicians know it as well. It's always been a bubble of air. Always. And they could have kept it going for as long as they wanted, but now you see it's time to change it and bring in a new economic system which will tie in with the new greening projects. Everything is greening, you see, and sustainability, and that's how they're going to control the average person as they bring us down, step by step by step. I was looking at Mr. Kissinger, the lovely Kissinger's memorandum. I think it was 200, it was called. National Security Memorandum. And you, you find in there, he talked about the, the greatest threat to national security was overpopulation. Mainly people, and mainly people thought it was mainly third world countries he talked about, but on that particular memorandum, you can see it. I'll, I'll see if you can find the link and put it up tonight as well. He talked about projected populations that the U.S. would like to have from 1975 when they started up until 2010 or so, bringing them down gradually, gradually, gradually by all different kinds of means. You tie that in with the United Nations. I looked at the United Nations site a couple of days ago to do with China. 
and they have the projections there for the Department of Population at the United Nations. And they said basically that China's population will drop below sustainability levels very shortly. And they'll have their ideal population by about 2025. It's funny how everything ends up around 2025. I was thinking, well, how did they manage to bring down the population in China? And I've told you before, they send anthropologists into countries. They've done this for centuries to spy out the land, to spy out the people, their customs, habits, religions, and so on. We have anthropologists going in with the military into Iraq. I've read the reports from the newspapers on that. And we know in the West, from all the talks I've given, they've been sterilizing the males. That's who they've been concentrated on, concentrating on the last over 50 years, concentrating primarily on the males to stop them having good quality and enough sperm to really keep the species going. But in China, they used an existing method because in China, they already had infanticide. And it was generally the male who was sought after the females were killed off. And when they brought in the communist system that was created by the West for China with a long-term plan to unify the country, standardize it, also to give it the manufacturing abilities from the 70s onwards. The West trained all their engineers. Canada did a lot of it too. And then we gave them the factories. Then the engineers had places to go and work. And then they had the GATT Treaty, etc. And a lot away went the factories from the West over to China. This was all done from the West. All of this was done from the West. But in China, that the one child per family policy. So therefore... It, if, you're, if it was a male that the woman was carrying, they'd bring it to term. And their population is so abundant now with males. There's too many men for females to say that they'll never, ever recover. They're, li- they're literally, even though they're one of the most numerous populations on the planet, they'll, they're beyond sustainability now. Interesting, isn't it? How they can always tell by the... And that's what it says in the UN report, by the year about 2025, it'll stabilize and then drastically drop. And so will the West, by the way. We're dropping already like crazy. We're plummeting. But they had their ideal amount of numbers by about 2025. I was tying that in with reports in today's newspapers that came out. They say, again... You have to look at see how things come out all of a sudden on the same topic. And there's two or three reports all about bio uh, centers getting set up to test bacterium and viruses, high-security bio laboratories in some major cities. Now, they did the same thing about 12 years ago in Canada, and no one could figure out why on earth they'd put out a high-security biochemical laboratory they would have the most dangerous diseases on the planet inside there. Why would you put it inside a major city? Because the whole thing is, if, it, if there is a leak, well, it's going to go sweep through the people. So it tells you there will be leaks from these places, I've no doubt whatsoever. That's what they're set up for. Otherwise, you put them way out in the country, far from everyone else. 
people at the top are not stupid. They like us to believe they are. But they're not stupid. They know what exactly what they're doing. You know, here's an article that ties right in with this very thing. And again, remember, all these things come out at the same time. There's a reason that everything comes out at the same time. This is from the BBC, November 19th, 2008. Malthusian snobs pray for cure for overpopulation. It's quite the article. It's quite long, too, and lengthy, but worth reading. And I shall do when I come back from this break. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through this wicked uh, matrix that certainly has thrown up layer after layer to confuse us, keep us living like children, as we get fed trivia and Madonna's divorce and rubbish like that. And big events are happening, massive events are happening for change. You can hear almost the, the hush, it's a, a hush is so audible, it's like that ringing in your ears you get when it's so silent as big things are moving ahead and they're not telling us what's going on. I see this article here is about this very topic of depopulation as it comes out into the open. November 19th, 2008 from the BBC by Brendan O'Neill. First posted November 14th, 2008. In the middle of all the hoo-ha over Jonathan Ross and Russell Brand's childish phone calls and a late-night radio show, you may have missed a far more scandalous utterance that was made on BBC Radio. On 5th of November, the upmarket Night Waves on BBC Radio 3 aired a discussion about overpopulation between Dr. Susan Blackmore, a neuroscientist and eugenicist. I've read articles on her before and Professor John Gray of the London School of Economics. They're all working together, of course. Dr. Blackmore said the fundamental problem facing the planet today is that there are too many people. Professor Gray agreed, and Dr. Blackmore declared, for the planet's sake, I hope we have bird flu or some other thing that will reduce the population because otherwise we are doomed. I guess she knows she's not going to get it. The bird flu, that is. So it's official at the Bib, that's the BBC, it's acceptable to make crude jokes about having sex with someone's granddaughter, but it's perfectly okay to wish death upon large swaths of mankind. Make a rude call to Andrew Sachs, answer phone, and you'll be accused of dragging the BBC's good name through the dirt. Spout misanthropic nonsense about the need for a speedily contagious disease to come and wipe out humanity and mankind, and nobody will bat an eyelid's. Well, you see, they're all recruited from, from Eton. You see, that's been standard with the BBC, the government's television station, the main propaganda arm of the British establishment. At the BBC, it is perfectly okay to wish death upon large swaths of mankind. Disparity between the public reaction to Brandgate Wild and the public reaction to what I think we should call Bird Flu Gate non-existent reveals a great extent or deal about the warped morality of the cultural elites. The reason why Dr. Blackmore's remark received no coverage or complaints is because 
the herbal tea drinking literati that listens to Radio 3 discussion programs will secretly share her prejudices about overpopulation. Malthusianism, the one-eyed belief that all of the Earth's problems are caused by overbreeding, is making a comeback in polite circles. Following the, the discrediting of eugenics during the Second World War, as they slaughtered all the inferior types, as they called it, through racial hygiene, Malthusians had been rather shamefaced about their beliefs. They continually invented new PC terms with which they might address up their angst about too many people. In Africa, in particular, measures to tackle overpopulation were promoted in the deceitful language of choice and autonomy. And this article continues here. Part 2. By charities, this is what they call it, keen to avoid being accused of pursuing that far uglier sounding goal, population control. You see, the foundations are all in there with their birth control and abortion clinics. And so are all the governments of the world, the Western world. Since more recently, however, Malthusians have become more strident. The poisonous notion that the speedily breeding masses are pushing the planet to breaking point has become a casual dinner party prejudice. Earlier this year, Prince Philip gave a TV interview in which he offered a pat explanation for the food price crisis. Too many people, he says, on the other side of the political spectrum, a Republican columnist for the Independent fretted about the swelling billions, that's people in the third world, who are pushing our planet to extinction. Professor Gray has referred to humanity as a plague. The novelist Lionel Shriver recognizes that this is a racially, religiously, and ethnically sticky issue, but says the threat of overpopulation is back and here to stay. Dr. Blackmore was taking these increasingly common prejudices to their logical conclusion when she wished that bird flu would come and kill some of us off, the swelling billions, preferably, rather than Radio 3 aficionados. She follows in the tradition of Earth First, the eco-group which in the early 1990s said that just as the plague contributed to the demise of feudalism, AIDS has the potential to end industrialism. So this is what they're all prattling on about, you see, in the, in the upper class circles. And they have been for my whole life long. In fact, I've met some of them who've come out with it. And you would not believe the organizations that have been working busily and quietly to achieve this end. I know one in particular, one woman, who, although classified as a teacher, comes from a very old, well-established family, and she's given special time off to go globetrotting on behalf of the UN, and she'd been over in China for a few months. And when she came back, and because of the, top, the topics I talk about, she forgot who I was, that I wasn't one of her club. And she was talking about how great it was in China, and she was over studying their population control techniques because they, they were thinking of trying to advance it and teach it into, into curriculum in Canadian schools. I says, well, what gives you the right to do that, Sheila? She says, well, somebody has to do it. I'll be back with more of this after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix, reading an article here and I'll put the link up at the end too and I know that the author has written for the Guardian and the New Statesman. And I'll continue with some more of it in fact because he mentions here, he says, more recently the Optimum Population Trust which counts Prince Charles' eco-advisor Jonathan Porritt amongst its directors said that if we don't find a way to reduce human numbers then it will be one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse that bumps us off. Enough if Ross and Brand's outbursts show that comedians have trouble censoring their inner adolescence, then these middle-class fantasies about human annihilation suggest the cultural elite cannot keep its misanthropy in check. It says here, the neo-Malthusians are as wrong as every population alarmist in history has ever been, like Thomas Malthus, who died in 1834, and his followers, today's bird flu dreamers, make the schoolboy error of treating population growth as the only variant and everything else. Food production, progress, human ingenuity as fixed entities. They are motivated by severe pessimism about humanity's ability to come up with solutions to its problems and by the base idea that disease is the only thing that can sort us out. As I say, we go much further than that. No, you find out they're very organized and they have a fixed belief system, and they truly do believe that the inferior types must, like the Brahmins say too, die off. They cannot be allowed to come into a new age. That's a fixed belief in Brahmanism. And these guys have a lot in common with it. It's quite amazing to watch, as I say, all of the, the world's actions as they work together on the same projects worldwide, using generation after generation to do certain phases of things. For the last 30, 40 years, we've been working to bring in this world order. In fact, we've been working with free trade to get it all up and running, to build up China, who will take over as the policeman of the world. That standard, they said that in the 1930s at the world meetings of the Royal Institute of International Affairs after the United States, they said collapses from within uh, and will collapse mainly through financial exhaustion by funding and being the policeman of the world that's what they said and then as those Chinese troops police the world and we're all going under and we're having these riots worldwide because we have not enough food to eat and so on uh, then they themselves will go under because they will be infertile and apart from that there's too many of the males it's interesting now the Chinese are using all the same soaps and pesticides and it's in their food that we've been having for the last 50 years and the plastics etc and getting the same inoculations so you see it's a, an equal opportunity nihilistic plan there's no real favourites here except for the elite themselves of all races because they're all one big club they've proven as Charles Galton Darwin said their right to rule by their special selective breeding and their ability to hang on to power generation after generation. So they're, they're superior genes, but all those junk genes at the bottom are only there to be used and disposed of. That's how everyone is in the system, and every group is in the system is you're used and tossed away. You never see the big picture. That's how the world is run. We have 
so much going on you can't really keep up with it. I was reading an article today from the Times Online and it says hairspray linked to boys' birth defect. Women exposed to hairspray during the early stages of pregnancy are more than twice as likely to give birth to a son with a serious genital effect. So they've known this again, the genital defect, you see, from what's in the hairspray. A study by Imperial College London found that if expectant mothers come into contact with the spray during their first trimester, they're more likely to have a son with hypospadias, a condition where the urinary opening is on the underside of the penis. Researchers suggest that hairspray and hypospadias may be linked because of chemicals in the aerosol known as phthalates. And I've done plenty of talks on these particular substances, which they understood back in the 1930s, and they understood the effects would have on children, mainly boys, back then too. That's why they decided to put it in hairspray, you see. And you think of all the heavy advertising they've done your whole life long on all these different cosmetics, etc. It's loaded with this stuff. And skin moisturizers that carry it right into your, to your skin to make sure it's in your body. And since they've known about this all along and the effects of it and only now coming out with it why do you think they did it and why do you think it was allowed to be done why nothing happens by chance now I was thinking too about how they're setting up the next bunch to come in now that the Bush uh, crew set up the establishment for totalitarianism and all the agencies to enforce it with equipment and spy cameras and etc. And now they're putting in the next bunch in the Hegelian dialectic to use it at home. It's interesting too to see the techniques. They don't like black people very much at the top, even though they, they do accept certain ones are superior than others in their own elite club. But they've generally been pretty racist, so they put in a black guy first who will take a lot of the heat as the, all the bad laws, the, the laws we don't like, get put into effect. But eventually a woman will take over, and that will be the worst time of all. That will be hell. Because traditionally in history, they put the female in, and they give you the bad, really bad, horrific times, like Bloody Mary, for instance. And I was thinking about Hillary, and I, I, I've said for years they'd have to get her in because she's been bred for this task and groomed for it. You couldn't just let her fall by the wayside. But I also knew that she would not get elected because of her personality and what's known about her too. But if you look up the Presidential Succession Act of 1947, it was through the established line of succession to the Office of President of the United States in the event that neither a president or vice president is able to discharge the powers and duties of the office. And you scroll down and you find who can they put in there? The Secretary of State. It's President. Interesting. Interesting. It makes you wonder, are they ready to use it? Or will be when the time is right? I think so. Now we'll go to the callers now and we've got uh, Jared from New York on the line. Are you there, Jared? What's up, Alan? How are you doing? Uh... I'm just, I'm, I'm hanging in there, you say. We're all hanging in, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, 
you, you, you mentioned uh, Charles Golton Dorman earlier, and uh, I remember when I read the book, he also mentioned making even uh, wood edible. Yes. You can eat it. You know, like, <laughs> you know, this, this, no, yeah. no type of human, uh, a, a regular normal human would uh, say something like that. And he also, and he also talked about, I don't know, maybe I, uh, I read it wrong or something, but he even talked about, like, manipulating the weather. Yes. Well, see, they already knew because he knew he knew uh, Teller, who had put that theory back in the 1950s. In fact, um, Teller suggested to the National Security Agency that they use um, seeding of metallic particles in the atmosphere and use um, standing wave technology to manipulate weather uh, and the people too, by the way. And uh, so Huxley and all these crew, all these scientists that were working together, they knew each other very well. In fact, Huxley uh, worked on the, on the atomic bomb, and uh, Teller was inventor of the H bomb. So they're all working in the same team. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah, and um, uh, with Plato too. You mentioned Plato. Um, I noticed this term that he. I now know where it came from. And it's this term, it was in George Orwell, and I see people with Christians using it, how they all call each other brother, brother. And yes. Plato said that, call each other, like we're all one big family, like uh, we're all connected or something like that. That's right. <laughs> so that's oh, where I know. it comes from, 2,000 years ago, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's just astonishing to, you know, H.G. Wells was another one. In fact, every one of these authors will tell you, generally in their biographies, uh, that their favorite book of all time was Plato's Republic. H.E. Wells read that over and over and over and talks about it repeatedly in his memoirs. That was their blueprint. And they admired people like Plato who could go beyond what they thought was the ordinary bounds of thinking and look at the unthinkable as they did themselves and, and have no real conscience about it. They saw conscience as a hindrance, in fact, of rulership and being part of the elite in fact, the, the guardian class would be, uh, they'd retain their wildness, as I say, and they would be utterly ruthless when required. It's interesting even to be a Rhodes Scholar. You don't have to be exceptionally intelligent. You have to be involved in social programs and institutions in college. But your main thing has to be the ability to be ruthless when required. That's a prerequisite. Yeah. And, and Plato's Republic, what... Um uh, would you consider um, like the technicians? Like, and, and what class is that? Uh, your, your technicians literally um, were the ones who, who worked with the basic sciences of the day, who made the artifacts, weaponry, uh, that type of thing. Um, those who were involved in metallurgy, um, sailing ships, construction, anything like that, that gave them what they called civilization. Yeah, and, uh, last week um, I was uh, mentioning to you how like I see the coding in the words, and I noticed um, one word. I don't know, maybe it was just me, but I noticed how they like, like had a, this like mirror reverse type of thing. Yes. And, and like I noticed like when you look at the word "new" in capital letters upside down, yeah, it says "man." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Right. Um, oh yeah. And one more question before I go. I wanted to. Um, Ask you because uh, I've been looking in, in uh, bookstores for a Kabbalah read because it's all like different like people's points of view on like w- w- like I guess they try to interpret it but I I, I can't find I, I'm not sure what I'm looking for like because it's, it's 
it's like one book is like on history of it. Yeah. I, 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 is there a place I could actually find the actual the Kabbalah itself? Or, or is the, it? the best version to get, uh, you can get it in Hasidic bookstores in New York, mm-hmm. and you'd maybe have to order it. Um, they use it themselves, although the males, by tradition, are not supposed to start reading it to the age of 40. Life begins at 40, and Freemasonry is the 40th degree. Mm-hmm. And that's when you go into the higher secrets. But uh, the best ones on Kabbalah, there's a lot of junk put out there by Freemasonry for the profane, but uh, the best uh, versions are really, to say, from the Hasidic um, bookstores. Yeah, and like you said, life begins at 40, that's the quaternity, and I heard, I read that in uh, Carl Jung's book, uh, I think Psychology and Religion, and he, what, what's the significance, like, with uh, the quaternity? What's, like what's, oh, fraternity? Yeah, the quaternity. Yeah. Oh, the quaternity is um, it's to do with there's always a trinity, there's always a duad. Number one is higher than the than the one, and then there's a trinity. <clears throat> there's different levels of meaning for the trinity, but the quaternity is is all is also is the mystic uh, element to the squaring. It's the mystic element, the one that oh. gives it power. Um, uh, they call it Black Jethro is another term they call Black Jethro or the Ethiopian is another term they'll use for the same thing but it would take you it may take me a few hours to explain it to you yeah, alright um, oh yeah please uh, uh, make that second DVD because you got me uh, like anticipating like with the whole Khan and Nabat thing I, I really yes I'll try and do that this, this winter <laughs> alright alright Ali take okay, it thanks easy. for calling now we've got Mark in Wisconsin are you there Mark? Hello, Alan. Yes. Hi. Uh, I had a question for you. What responsibility do uh, do I bear to my fellow man when I have eyes to see and ears to hear when I don't worship an unseen capstone? What responsibility do you have to your fellow man? Yes. You have. It's not just your fellow man. It's the way I see it is, you know, I, I think of the generations who've lived and died before me who literally had their minds stolen, just like the present generation, at birth. And that's the greatest crime of all, is to have your mind and your potential stolen from you at birth. Um, So I don't see it just for my fellow man. I see it for all those also who have gone before and for all those who should have the right to go on in the future. Um, This is a timeless war to an extent. And these um, bar stewards have been running this world for so long, uh, planning wars, culling people, uh, causing famines, by the way, war, famine is a traditional method of warfare. And, and of course, they're doing even more covert things that I've been talking about for the last uh, few weeks to the public. Um, it's the atrocities that you have to fight for. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, Alan, I added about 50, 60, 70 hours of Patriot Radio a week, and I can spot a scam like that now, thanks to your show. Yeah. And uh, frankly, what much of what I'm editing is very disturbing. Yes. Yes. I, I went through an article once on the radio uh, from, I think it was the Toronto Star, and they had half a page on the history of the CIA's involvement with Patriot Radio in the 1950s onwards, when they used it and set it up as a front using mainly Christian organizations at that time to try and get counter-propaganda to the communist propaganda out 
but it was so involved. Now, I've never seen the CIA let go of anything, and so we have to be very careful because, believe you me, counterintelligence, and this is the key, saw today coming a long time ago. They planned today and everything that's happening today. They planned the New Age movement to utterly confuse folk who are trying to wake up and look for alternatives and information and even belief. They planned the New Age gurus that would appear, that would use all the patriot terminology, They'd have all the facts there, then they'd spin it off into Anunnaki and so on until you're totally bewildered and you'd be laughed at if you tried to uh, teach other people. Uh, you're living in a maze of disinformation and uh, very cleverly organized, planned um, psychological warfare. Uh, right, right. And everywhere you go, books, magazines, TV, yes. religion, mm-hmm. uh, patriot radio, mainstream radio, mainstream news, Literally, you can find these frauds everywhere, and you can't yes. hand another man discernment. Well, I'll tell you, I have had people send me links. I've, I've, I've let them talk on my show and so on until I go into their site, and I'll see certain people's names mentioned there. And when they're new agey, etc., and I already went to their site, as people will, and there's tarot card reading, there's Anunnaki stuff up there, and you're just born as slaves, and the Anunnaki are coming back as giant masters, and all this rubbish, I will not put the link up on my site. That's the easiest way. Check their yeah. archives and see what's in it. That's right. Well, thanks for calling. Back after this break. Given talks, in fact, on the Matrix movie and what it symbolized, 
and the names involved in it too, which are all, again, occultic names. And, uh, and I've also given the different versions of meaning. There's one for the public, there's one for the elite themselves uh, in there as well. And there's a lot of predictive programming in the series to make people actually think that they will be the ones who will come through. But I refer them back to what Galton Darwin said in his next million years, that many think that they're fit to come through and they're not. So you're also dealing with, you know, eugenics is everywhere, even in, even in the movie, yeah. So do you think Neo is the one or not, or what? No. Um, you understand what it, what it all really truly means. They even take you through something similar to 2001, Arthur C. Clarke's one. They, they tell you a Masonic story wrapped up in, an, in, an, in another story, and when Neo is plucked out of the water uh, after being pushed out of his little um, bed there, his womb, uh, you see the door opening at top, there's a light, and a hand comes down to pick him up the big arm. That's the Masonic one, him born again. It's Maso- a Masonic uh, creation. Okay, well, thank you for your time, sir. No, thanks for calling. And we also have uh, Mac in Toronto. Are you there, Mac? Hello? Yes. Yes, hi, Alan. It's uh, good to speak to you. I've heard a lot of your talks, and uh, I, like many people, appreciate what you do. Um, have you ever spoken of the art of war, uh, which is, I understand, it's a uh, Illuminati training manual. It's ancient, and I understand it's used at, uh, in the Ivy League to teach people on technique. Yeah, I have gone through it, yeah. Okay, because I, have, I haven't heard that one before, so. Yes, it's, it's interesting, but there are many similar ones, too, to use. And, but definitely the teachings are used um, in, in warfare strategies, especially on whole countries or populations. Yeah. But thanks for calling. And that's the end of the show for tonight. That's fed in again, as always. And that's the end of the week, in fact. From a snowy Ontario, Canada, where the fire in the stove is burning nicely. That's good night from Hamish and myself, and may your God or your gods go with you. Mm-hmm.